I asked Evan, one of our associate pastors, if he'd be willing to open up Hebrews 11 and share God's word with us. And so he's going to do that. Uh, Before he does that, Rachel Sproul is going to come read Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 8 is where she will begin. And then I'll read to verse 19. So Rachel come and then uh, Pastor Evan's going to come after that. Hebrews 11, 8 through 19. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Thank you, Rachel. If you have a copy of God's Word, I encourage you to turn to Hebrews or navigate to Hebrews 11. So one of my uh, favorite cultural commentators uh, is named John Stone Street. He works for something called the Colson Center. And uh, recently he cited an article uh, from The Atlantic by uh, Derek Thomas. And this article cited the fact that there has been an uptick of teen sadness all the way back from 2009 to 2021, uh, 26% back then would would identify as being like sad or depressed. Whereas in 2021, 44% identified as being sad or or depressed. And uh, others have noticed that this sadness is, is resistant to standard treatment. Now, the article goes on to, say, uh, to cite a number of factors. Um, it would even call them reasons that, that teens are feeling this way. Uh, one of them is, is social media and just the, the image consciousness, the, the fear of missing out. Uh, doesn't make them feel any better. Uh, another is social isolation. And so even while you like, have contact with more, you're, you're more isolated. Um, another factor would be global events that just bombard where you can do absolutely nothing about them, but you're aware of all the bad things that are happening. 
the final factor that was cited was a parenting style called, uh, some have termed it lawnmower parenting, uh, where basically you mow down all the obstacles uh, in, in front of this uh, developing adult. And, and so they, they don't develop the emotional resilience that is needed. Now, as, as helpful as that analysis is, uh, Stone Street points out something that just really caught my attention, and that these are, these are factors. These are, these are the tender, but it's not the thing that lights it. The actual thing that lights it is that they have inherited a, uh, a culture in, that has been untethered by, from God. In other words, there has been a massive loss of meaning. We are looking at Hebrews 11, and it's just a whole litany of people, examples of people who had their lives tethered to God. And so last week we learned that faith was an evidence of believing something. We saw some short examples in the life of Abel and Enoch and Noah. But this week we get something a little bit different. It's an extended example. And this extended example is very, very helpful. And this is from the life of Abraham, the patriarch and his family. Now you may or may not be familiar with the life of Abraham, but you can find it in the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapters 12 through 25. He was from the godly line of Seth, uh, he was the patriarch of Israel. We call him Father Abraham. He is the patriarch of all who come to faith. And um, he lived 2,000 years before Jesus Christ. Now, throughout this rather extended passage that, that Rachel read for us, uh, you know, 8 through 19, the author does some really, really helpful things. Over and over, you're going to see the evidence of faith marked by a phrase, and that is by faith or in faith. And we see that in verses 8. 9, 11, 13, and 17. So each time you see that by faith or that in faith, it's going to point out an action or an evidence of believing. Something else I noticed as I read this passage was that following those acts of faith, there's always some tension that is going to push against that faith, that, that the person of faith has to push through. So there's a tension. So you'll see the evidence of faith, you'll see the tension, and then Finally, we're going to see what helped them push through that tension. And this is something that I'm going to call living in the future tense or thinking in the future tense. So every time this person of faith meets this obstacle, there's something that they're setting their mind upon that is going to help them maintain their faith. So as we tour the evidence of faith in the life of Abraham, what I want us to see this morning is that our future is safe with God. Our future is safe with God. And I don't just mean this in a general sort of way as in like, you know, yeah, yeah, I know I'm going to go to heaven. I, I want you to see that every part of your life, everything that is in front of you from the next step all the way till your last breath is safe in the hands of God. So how do we know that our future is safe with God? I'd like us to first notice in verses 8 and 9, that our calling is safe with God. We see, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive an inheritance. The evidence that we have that Abraham believes something is that when he was called, he obeyed and he went out. So he obeyed, there's an action, and he went out, there's another action. This indicates also that he obeyed quite promptly as he was being called, he obeyed. And so there's like no time lapse here. 
he, he responded immediately. Abraham's first evidence that he believed something was that he obeyed. Now, there is a tension that is immediately identified in verse 8, and it says that he went out not knowing where he was going. And that's really something. Right now, I'm kind of in the, uh, the college trip stage of life where we've, we've been taking some with, uh, with, with Prisca. And I, I was just imagining, the reason we do these things is because we want to know what is ahead of us. We want to know what the dorms look like. We want to know what the campus looks like. We want to know what the city looks like or the not city or, or whatever it is. We want to know. But imagine if you had a, a teen parent that when you went on this trip, uh, you didn't go on a trip. In fact, you just said, hey, um, I picked out a place for you. Um, I'll tell you what the city is later, and I'll tell you what the college is later. And they actually trust you. <laughs> but what kind of trust would that take? So, in fact, even the word that is used here, he speaks of a land, but then he says he's calling him out to a place. Even place is kind of a generic word. So how is Abraham going to react to this lack of specificity? He obeys promptly. You know, we don't know how much background he has with God at this time. We know that he comes from the godly line of Seth, one of Noah's sons that, that believed God. But we don't know how much background he had. But already we're getting a sense that this man is a man of faith. So besides the action and the tension, I'd like to observe how Abraham was thinking in the future tense. And uh, we have it here in this word inheritance. God says, if you go to this place that I will tell you, I will give you an inheritance. So what must have been going through Abraham's mind, though not recorded here, is that, well, an inheritance is something in the future. I'm going to go to an unspecified place that sets me on the path to this inheritance. And further than that, it's going to keep me in relationship to this God who speaks to me. And so I'm going to enter into this relationship, and I don't have the details, but he does, and I'm going to bank on that. Now, what about us? You know, in a sense, our call to follow God parallels Abraham's in, in a number of ways. Before God called you to salvation, he, you may or may not have known much about him. So from the second that you thought like, well, maybe there's something to this, or you heard and you're like, wow, that is strange. You may not have had a background with him at all, but he reached out to you. He called us to something, and nobody who accepts Christ and says, I'm going to follow Jesus with my life, I'm going to respond to this call, nobody knows everything. They don't know what that's going to mean, what he has called them to. What's that going to do to my relationships? What am I going to have to give up? These are all questions that, that you have to wrestle with when God calls you. Is there really a heaven? Now, some of you, no doubt, didn't come from a background of faith. And you maybe you moved from a different background of faith, a whole different tradition. And when you accepted God, you actually had people questioning your sanity. They thought you were going crazy. They're like, don't let them make crazies out of you, right? Well, each of us has to decide at that moment whether or not we believe that our future is safe with God. And when we trust in Christ, we are replying with an affirmative, yes, my future is safe with God. I'm going to respond to this calling. Now, if you're assuming that once uh, Abraham got to the promised land, so he responded to this call, and you're assuming that things got a little bit easier to believe at that time, uh, then you'd be wrong. Because when he arrived in the land, he wasn't able to possess it. 
not in his lifetime and not in his children's lifetime or his grandchildren's lifetime. So I want us to see not only are we safe in the initial call of God, but we're also safe in our sojourning. Verse 9 says, by faith, okay, there's that marker again, so we're going to see an evidence here. He went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents. The evidence is that he actually went to the land of promise. He went to live in the land of promise. And then he didn't promptly get to lay Abraham's city. No, he didn't get to. He was just there living in the land. Now, in this we see the tension in that he is in the promised land, the place that God says he's going to give him, but he is a resident alien. He is living as in a foreign land and in tents. So the tension here that presses on his trust is that he's in the land of promise, which that sounds promising. And in the verses there, we see it's mentioned twice to kind of emphasize it, but he can't take possession of it. Now, tents are symbolic. It's, some of you enjoy tenting. Uh, others of you, like your idea of tenting is entirely different. Uh, but tents are a symbol. There is nothing, no dwelling that is less permanent than a temp. tent. It's very, very temporary. It doesn't even have a foundation. A little bit later, he's going to talk about a city whose foundations are laid by God. Well, a tent has no foundation. Now, this sojourning, this, this being somewhere but not belonging is, is not easy. Most of us have only gotten a taste of this sometime in our life, but it's enough to know that it's, it's tough. You know, living in a foreign land uh, can be exhilarating. When I've talked to, to different missionaries, uh, you know, there's this period of time, right, where it's exhilarating. Everything is wonderful. The, the people are wonderful. The food is wonderful. Everything is wonderful. But you're always going to hit some point where you're wanting to go home. I just wish I could go home. Missionaries have, have told me, like, it's just like an intense, incredible homesickness. In fact, it probably feels like you start to despise everything around you. Now, they have to push through that, but that is a little bit about what it feels like to be a sojourner. I want to go home. Tenting, though rustic and simple, of course, except for the one who packs it all, uh, it, it quickly gives way, you know, after a couple of days, to I want my own bed. The only thing that Abraham actually owned in this promised land is a cave, and he had to bargain for that cave. So he went to the people and he said, I'm a sojourner, so he knew, a sojourner, and a foreigner among you, give me property among you for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. There's something very sad about this. Abraham buries his beloved wife, Sarah, in this little land that he knows, but then he continues to wander. How could he be content to live that way? Once again, what enables him to live this act of faith through this tension of sojourning is thinking in the future tense. Verse 10 tells us what he was thinking. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Now, Abraham may have been picturing a Jerusalem that would someday be built on that land, but the city is characterized, the one that he is looking for was having its designer and its builder as God. In other words, it's a heavenly city, and Abraham knew that. It is absolutely remarkable how, how far this man of faith saw. 
So he lived 20 centuries before Christ, and here we are 20-something centuries after Christ. And so Abraham saw all the way there, Jesus Christ himself would, would preach where he would say, pray this way, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so what we are praying for, Jesus said, is the heavenly will to be done on earth. In other words, a heavenly city to be here. Abraham saw all through that, through the return of Christ, all the way to Revelation chapter 21 that speaks of this heavenly city uh, in, in great, great detail. And so, so powerful was this vision that he had molded not just Abraham, but also Isaac and Jacob as well. The verse specifies that he was living in tents with Isaac and Jacob. And so his vision was so strong, so convincing, that it passed on to other generations. In fact, it has molded the vision of everybody who are people of faith, all of us who believe. Now, what does thinking of the future tense look like for us? It really means for us to kind of wrestle with, with something called dual citizenship, which we're familiar with, but it's a dual citizenship on earth and in heaven at the same time. We belong to a kingdom that is to come, to a city that is built by God, and yet we have to live and trade and have children and raise children and seek the peace of the city that we are in. But we have to do so in a way that never forgets that we are sojourners, that this is not our true home. Now, how do we model what determines whether or not, you know, how we model that is going to actually determine whether or not future generations follow it. It's not their fault if we don't pass it on because we didn't actually believe it. We can trust God with the bulk of our life, not just the call, not just when he calls us to himself, but also through the entirety of it, which is sojourning. Now, in verse 11, Sarah is brought into this story of faith as well. Her part didn't have actually all that much to do with acting. Her part was believing and waiting. And it may be the hardest way that we can evidence faith. So we are also safe in our waiting. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. What is the action that Sarah evidences here? Well, the verb is passive. She received power, but there's a lot behind that. And here's what it is. She trusted in the promise of offspring. That was her action, trusting. Now, the tension that she had to go through is also pretty clear here. She was past the age of bearing children. And Abraham, we saw in verse 12, was as good as dead, pre-descripted. And the promise itself took 25 years to fulfill. Well, no wonder Sarah had an initial uh, kind of incredulous reaction. Scripture records that she laughed. And not in a good way. She, she did not believe it at that time. But immediately the heavenly messenger challenged her with something and said, is anything too hard for the Lord? Now, we know that those words actually lodged in Sarah's mind because she, according to our verses here, she believed in the one uh, who made this promise. And so is anything hard to the Lord? She took this challenge to heart. So sometime between this incredulous laughter of, of disbelief, uh, she writes this poem where uh, we see two things. Number one, she names Isaac 
laughter. And second of all, she writes a poem, and she says this, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. How does Sarah think in the future tense? Verse 11 says, she considered him faithful who had promised. What about us? Uh, Pastor theologian John Piper, a long time back, said something that that just stuck in my mind. There are two different types of waiting. There is, there's a passive waiting, which is just what it sounds like, right? Just kind of like, well, I hope something happens to me. And then there's an active kind of waiting. And an active kind of waiting is hard work. It's a lot more like wrestling. It means that you are, you are expectant. You're leaning forward. You're gathering more information. You're waiting for God to move. And when he gives you more direction, then you are ready to move. And so that is the type of waiting that Sarah was doing. And it is hard, hard work. And we have to do that same kind of work. Things may be unclear for us right now where you you don't have enough information to move forward. And at that point, you have to engage in an active waiting. But all the time, you're thinking in the future tense. You believe that the one has promised that he will be with you, the one who will supply your needs, that he will be faithful. Verses 13 through 16 are, are different. So here, the author is going to pull into the picture these readers. He does this first, she does this, or he or she, we actually don't really know, do we? Does this by actually saying uh, Abraham and Sarah. So he's brought Abraham into the picture and then Sarah into the picture. But then we read in verse 13, these all died in faith. And so it's expanding out just a little bit more. So not just Abraham and Sarah, not just Jacob and Isaac, but also all who died in faith. The author also pulls us into this in verse 14, where it reads, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. Any people, including the readers of Hebrews, including us, All these people who would declare this are seeking a homeland. So the author has shifted into an exhortation here. They really want us to enter into this picture. And the next thing that we can be sure of, not just in our calling, not just in our sojourning, not just in our waiting, but also in our dying. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. The evidence that Abraham and others, all these sojourners, believed in something is that they died in faith. Now, we aren't used to thinking of dying as an act of faith, but, but there, there it is. The key, of course, is, is not dying, but dying well. In other words, dying in faith. Now, this is, this is the one, it says, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. This one says, in faith. And so, we are to die in a manner that is faithful. The tension here that shows that they trust God with a future is that they died not having received the promises, but seeing and welcoming them from afar. That is the tension. They didn't receive the promises, and they acknowledged that they were still strangers and exiles on the earth. Now, not having received the promises while you're in the twilight of your life, that could be a faith shaker. 
That could have shaken Abraham's faith, Isaac's faith, Jacob's faith, all of these people's faith because the promises were still afar off. It could have gone bad. They could have said, and later on it talks a little bit about this opportunity to return. They could have said, you know what, at least I'm going to go back to the city and just die with a good floor under me. They could have done the opposite of greeting them from afar. In other words, welcoming those promises from afar. They could have said instead, hmm, well, I, I, guess, I guess I had it wrong. They could have gotten cynical, but they didn't because they thought in the future tense. How do they think in the future tense? Well, they saw the promises and they welcomed them from afar. Now, this doesn't mean that they were uh, pie in the sky. This doesn't mean that they were saying, yeah, it's all been fulfilled. Yeah, it happened just as he said. No, instead it's saying like, no, they haven't happened yet. It's realistic. It's from afar, but not cynical. It's welcoming them. They were glad to see them coming. We see that they acknowledged, they self-identified as sojourners like Abraham did. They made it clear that they were seeking a homeland, and we saw that in verse 14. The homeland is the city whose author and, found, author and founder is God. And they did not go back. They didn't yearn from where they came from. In that way, there is danger. It said that if there was an opportunity to return, if they were thinking that way, if they were thinking about the land, there would be an opportunity for them to return. We could go back to Ur. We have a city there. Now, what about us? Not trying to be morbid, but like them, we can die with our faith intact. Now, those of you who have sat by the bedside of a saint that is soon to be with Jesus, it is an inspiring and an awe-inspiring thing to see somebody professing even in those last moments. Sometimes they can't even profess, but you can see that they have clung to this their entire life and they have not turned. And it is an amazing thing. Now, it is, it is possible that the readers of Hebrews may have been very, very tempted to go back to where they came from. For some of them, that could have been Judaism. So Judaism was an accepted religion in Rome at that time, and so it would like have taken some of the pressure off of them. Uh, that would be one way of going back. You know, for some of us today, realizing that being a Christian isn't going to bring us applause. In fact, Christianity isn't popular. It's not even neutral anymore. In fact, we may be the bad guys. Maybe we've been fingered as the problem. We may be tempted to run from our distresses and, and become less, less distinctive or to not identify, to keep a low profile. These are ways of returning back to the land from which we came. We may find that our faith is on the ropes because, because we had hoped that certain promises would, would come to pass in our lifetime. But faith has eyes to see beyond our current distresses. It refuses to return to competing worldviews for comfort. It trusts, as one of the kids' songs that we sing is, he is always up to something good, even if we die without seeing it. And so we've seen that in these highlight snaps thus far, not just our calling, our journeying, which is the bulk of our life, not in our waiting, not in our dying, but this final by faith is something of a climax. It's been called Abraham's severest test and his most glorious triumph. It's been called proof that tests of faith grow more difficult as we walk with God. And it's been called the supreme illustration. It's found in verses 17 through 19. 
by faith when he was Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. The evidence is pretty clear that Abraham believed something. It's the action that he took when he offered up Isaac. What a test this was. The stakes couldn't be any higher. And the author recognizes this and really lays on the descriptors. He says that Abraham is the promise holder. So you hear at the promise holder with a knife in hand. Notes that it was his only son. It actually calls to mind God's words about Jesus. My beloved son, my only son. Mind you, this is the same Isaac of whom it was said, through Isaac, your offspring shall be named. Yes, it's that Isaac. There's not another one. He is the promise. The tension here is that Abraham's obedience will destroy the means of fulfilling the promise. It could even destroy his own faith. When he left Ur, he was being asked to give up his past. When he was called to Moriah, he was being asked to give up his future. Abraham faced two contradictory things. On one hand, you had, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Here is the promised child. On the other hand, he had the command from God, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. Well, this is an incomprehensible request, humanly speaking. Here is where Abraham shows what one commentator called invincible confidence in the promise of God. Here's how he thinks in the future tense. Two words must have rung through his mind, through Isaac, through Isaac, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. It was impossible for through Isaac, the promise, and sacrifice Isaac, the command to coexist. And here's where we're lit in on his future tense thinking. He was banking on a miracle that God was able even to raise him from the dead. That's astounding. It is astounding because, and it may even escape us because we celebrate Easter every year. We celebrate resurrection. We have stories of Jesus raising people from the dead. We know about resurrection. Abraham had no examples of resurrection. So here he is, he's, it, another version calls this he reckoned or he reasoned. So here he is with two unreconcilable things and he looks at them and he comes to the only solution. God will raise him from the dead. When did he figure this solution out? It could have been on a 45 mile an hour hike through the mountains to get to the Mount Moriah. Through Isaac, take Isaac. Eventually assured his servants who had traveled with him this. He says, stay here with the donkey and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come to you again. What faith. Amazing. Perhaps his experience as being good as dead himself uh, in terms of having a child informed his confidence in God. Abraham knew from a long walk with him that this is a God who holds life in his hands. This really is the ultimate in future tense thinking. And it's something that we have to reckon as well. 
our future is safe with God, even in the impossible. How about us? The readers, like Abraham, are called on to trust God, even when it looks as if everything conspires against the fulfillment of the promise. Do you have a situation in your life right now that looks as if everything conspires against the fulfillment of a promise of God? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. So you say, God is going to provide for me while I pursue his will, but I don't see how that is going to happen. It seems impossible. There's a promise that says nothing can separate me from his love, and you know that there is a sin that has a stronghold in your life right now, and you're like, it it is going to separate me. I feel like it's going to separate me. This is impossible. I can't overcome this. Is Is that your impossible? He says, I will be with you. And you're just like, I, I am so isolated, so lonely. I don't, I don't see how his presence can be with me. But our future is safe with God, even our impossible. When our future is safe with God, we have to act like we believe something. And when we do that, we can weather the tensions in life. You know, seeing this extended example of, of Abraham a faith that works itself out over a long time. It's really, really instructive and and it's comforting. Um, It's even more comforting if you read the story of Abraham from the fact that he he, he had missteps. Uh, He he kept resorting to this ploy in which he would uh, deceive people even at the expense of Sarah's honor uh, to protect his life. Uh, There's another plot where he he and Sarah tried to help uh, God out in the air department in a, in a scheme that seems to us really unsavory, though it was common at the time. You know, when I'm wrestling with a hard decision and, and I just wish God would speak to me from the cloud, like, God, if you gave me the sort of, sort of speaking that you gave Abraham, then, then I would trust you. It, it helps to realize that Abraham many times had no guidance from God. There are times in his life where there was a famine and he goes down to Egypt. We have no, no record that God told him what to do. There are times where just he had to look and say, I'm going to take care of the household that you've given me. I have to make this call. You know, even his uh, less than highlight real worthy times are somehow comforting because we all have episodes that we would rather have not recorded. Yet, he is a man of faith. You kind of recall the case of the culture that is untethered from God that we spoke of at the beginning. People who feel this way, this, this sadness, have lost meaning. It's because they've learned that I exist as an accident. I don't know if I have a purpose. I don't know why things are so bad and getting worse. I fear that the end will be even worse than it is now. Those are the things that bring a deep sadness upon you. But living in the future tense provides that meaning. It knows that we're not our own, that we are created for his glory, that sin is at the root of death and disintegration, that God is redeeming all things and that there is a future. We find some of these truths of being tethered to God, future tense thinking in some of the catechisms. This is an adaptation of the Heidelberg Catechism. What hope does everlasting life hold for us. 
it reminds us that this present fallen world is not all there is. Soon we will live with and enjoy God forever in the new city, in the new heaven, in the new earth, where we will be fully and forever freed from all sin and will inhabit renewed resurrection bodies in a renewed, restored creation. For those who've discovered that faith can carry not just your life, but also generations through our calling, through our sojourning, our waiting, our dying, through our impossible, even our future, all of it, every step of it is safe with God. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for uh, examples. Thank you for Father Abraham and the example of faith that he and Sarah and his family gave. Lord, our, our hearts long to be faithful. Our hearts long to face the future without fear, knowing that we will land on our feet because you are with us. So Lord, I pray now that you would take all here whose hearts are failing, whose faith seems to be on the rope. I pray, Lord, that you would give them that sense of future tense thinking, that they will look forward with patient, waiting expectation, ready to see what you're going to do on their behalf. Father, if there are those who are on the threshold of faith, who look and they have not received that calling yet, but they want that, they want a life that is tethered to you, they want meaning, they want hope. Father, I pray that today would be the day that they turn to you in faith and that their faith would be evidenced by belief and that they would begin that wonderful journey, that sojourning that you have called us to. And we pray these things in Christ's name.